Well, hey, if you are joining us today, whether online or whether here in a physical location, especially if you tuned in a little bit later and you missed the beginning, yes, things are different. This might be a little odd for you, and that is awesome to me. So I'm excited for this series. Uh, something else a little bit different that I just want to celebrate is Jim and Ruby Asher today I don't know if they're where they're sitting at or where they're located. Right there, in a new seat. Sorry, I'm used to looking at you right here, okay? They have been married for 60 years today. 60 years today. Which is just something we don't see enough of, and it's different. And thank you so much for setting the example for us. Um, you guys are amazing, and so uh, it's absolutely worth celebrating. So in the hallway, make sure you congratulate them and so we can celebrate with them. Um, there's a, name by, a man by the name of Todd Orr who was hiking up a mountain in Montana one day, and he had been doing this for 25 years. It was actually his job to walk these trails, hike these trails, and as he's about halfway up one of his normal routes, he looks to his left, and up on the top of the mountain, or the hill I should say, he sees a mama grizzly. And he recognizes it's a mama because he sees the cubs go around the other side of the hill and the mama is standing tall, staring at him. Todd freezes and just looks. This isn't his first bear encounter. He's got things to prepare him for this. And then mama bear goes over the hill with her cubs. So he says, okay, I'm good to go. And he continues his hike. And about 30 seconds later, he's still carving his way around the hill. Mama Bear peeks up over the hill again. But this time, she comes bolting down the hill, 30, to 30 miles an hour, straight at Todd. And Todd can't even react fast enough. He begins to take off his backpack, and he has bear spray, so he begins to spray the cloud, and the Mama Bear bursts right through it and begins attacking Todd. And Todd is a natural instinct. What does he do? He tries to fight back. He tries to do everything he can to shake the bear off, but the mama bear is just too strong. And at this point, Todd is on the ground, and the bear has both paws, and he already has a scar on his shoulder and a bite on his arm and a scratch on his head, and he still tries to struggle and move himself out of it. But Todd, having experience and maybe being a little um, frightened, he, he begins to realize, okay, the only way I'm going to get out of this fight is if I lay completely still. So Todd does that. He tries to be as quiet and as still as possible as this bear is pressing on top of him. And then the bear stops, and the bear looks up, sniffs around, and then she goes back to her cubs. Todd, knowing he immediately has to get to an ER room, and with his legs being okay, just a little hurt up top, he stands up after laying down for a few seconds, and he bolts down that hill as fast as he can. But what happens when he begins to run away? The bear notices, she turns around, and she goes right back. And he doesn't have time at all to get anything. And so Todd again finds himself being attacked with a few more cuts, with a couple more bites. And again, his first reaction as he's being attacked, as he's in this fight, is to try to fight back in some way, to push the bear off. But of course the bear is stronger. But Todd calms himself down again, and he's like, you have to lay completely still. And so he does the same thing, a little more beat up this time. And Mama Bear, just trying to protect her cubs, 
goes up the hill. And Todd, this time, understanding what he needs to do, very slowly begins to crawl down the mountain. And as he gets a little ways, he's able to crouch up and slowly walks down the mountain to receive the medical attention. And Todd ended up being fine. Todd ended up being okay. But what Todd learned that day, that the only way that he was going to get out of the fight is if he gave himself up within the fight. I think you and I are in a spiritual fight with Mama Bear. I think we're in a spiritual fight with Mama Bear. Let me explain. Um, There's maybe three types of people here today. Um, Maybe, maybe, uh, this is your first time to church. Maybe you're exploring your faith. Maybe this whole Christianity thing is new to you. And, and, And so maybe, maybe your fight is the resistance to God wooing you into a relationship with him. We call that provenient grace. God is wooing you into relationship and maybe you just, you've got your guard up right now and so maybe your fight is, mm-mm, just not yet, I'm just not sure. And that's okay, I'm really, I'm really glad that you're here. That's a big step. Uh, maybe you have accepted Jesus as your personal savior, right? And if that's the case, I'm so happy for you. It, it, you're saved by God, but... That's it, right? I'm saved. I'm good. I don't need to take any more steps. And maybe the fight within you is apathy. That I'm good exactly where I'm at. I don't need to do anything more. And that is your fight. Or maybe you you realize, you understand, you know what, Jesus is calling me to something more. And so we have a relationship with Jesus and we are chasing Jesus and we are pursuing Jesus and we're trying to get to church every Sunday and we're doing all of these things to check off our boxes. In a way, we're trying to gain spiritual advancement and gain God's approval because of the more we do and the more we try and the harder that we work. And yet three months later, we look back and we say, man, I'm just not where I want to be in my faith. Maybe you find yourself in one of those situations. Here's the fight I really think we're in, though. Even if you identify with one of those areas, here's the fight I really think we're in. I think Jesus wants to tell us that we are fighting the wrong thing because actually we aren't in a fight with those things or apathy or trying to gain God's approval or resisting God. We are in a fight with our surrender. We are in a fight with our inability, our unwillingness, to surrender. Like hiking up our spiritual mountain, we run into mama bears, right? And we kick and we fight and we try to push through and we try to run through the struggle, but I don't think that that's gonna get us to where God is calling us to be. Jesus is trying to tell us this, quit fighting the bear and just surrender. Because do you know what happens when you surrender? I know you think it's going to be worse for you. I know you think you're not going to be where you want to be. I know you think the bear is just going to devour you, whatever that bear is in your life. But Jesus is saying, when you surrender, you will live. You will live. And that's what this series is all about. Quit fighting with surrender. And here's why Jesus wants us to tell us this. If you were here on Ash Wednesday, uh, Alex talked about this scripture a little bit in his sermon, and I'm gonna bring it up again because it'll set the tone for where we wanna go. It's in Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 24, and it says this. 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Um, One more time, I just want to address, if you are new here, man, this seems like a bold series for your first time into church, but I want to say, hey, hey, no matter where you're at, Jesus is inviting us to to surrender. If you don't know Jesus, maybe surrender to you is just give. Maybe coming to church today was your first act of surrender to say, you know what, I'm willing to try this thing out. God is could not be more excited to begin a relationship with you. So maybe that's what we are surrendering today. So if you're new, I just want to say I'm so glad that you're with us, and I encourage you to listen along because I, I believe this will absolutely apply to you as well. But this is a bold start to our series, and we need to get straight to the point because, and Alex said this on Wednesday too, there's no such thing as a partial relationship with Jesus. I, I, I don't know that that, if you read the Bible, if that's what we gain from it. Jesus didn't, you know, go all the way to the cross and give everything that he had so that we um, just get to give some. Right, that's, that, I don't know that that's how it works. No, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is calling all of us, no matter where we're at, not to a partial relationship, but Jesus is calling us to full surrender. Um, so why are we calling this series Terms of Surrender? Um, have you ever seen a movie where two sides come together, and there's a battle, and one side eventually what? They take their white flag, and they wave it as an act of surrender, and those two sides come together, and there's what's called terms of surrender, where the party that surrendered has to abide by certain things because they surrendered, and maybe that's certain territories that they now give up, that might be on the list of terms, or maybe that's certain um, resources or goods that they have, or I don't know what the deal might be, but there's terms of surrender within the agreement because they said, you know what, I'm giving up this fight, and I'm going to surrender. In our relationship with God, in Luke, I believe Jesus lays out for us terms of surrender. When we are willing to lay down ourselves and we wave our white flag, what happens? We, Jesus walks through with us terms of surrender, items on the list that we say, you know what, now that I'm fully surrendered to Jesus, here's what this looks like for me. And this is to help us, this is to encourage us, this is to help us live a life fully surrendered to God. So what's item number one on our terms of surrender today? Item number one is this, surrender your eyes, surrender your eyes. If you're taking notes, the title of today's sermon, I know I'm three years late on this word, sorry teens, I'm not very cool, deal with it, is always lit, always lit. Turn to your neighbor and say, always lit. Good, you're listening, always lit. That's how my face feels right now with these lights. Um, Always lit. And maybe if you're sitting here, you're feeling the same thing and you're going to notice it somewhere else. Um, Always lit. Let's jump into our scripture today. It comes from Luke chapter 11. This is from verse 33 through 36. Here we go. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye 
is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, when your eyes are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, you will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Jesus has been talking to a crowd of people that has been growing by the minute. And at this point in Luke eleven twenty nine, 29, it actually says that the crowd was at its largest when Jesus began to say these things, which I think means something. So when the crowd is at its largest, Jesus says this, talks about this really weird passage or says these really weird things about lights and lamps and eyes and bodies and darkness, and it can get a little confusing. But I think there's a reason he said this when the crowd was at its largest. Um, in the year 106 BC, a man by the name of Cicero was born. He was born in about 70 miles outside of Rome, and he was known for his political prowess, he was known for his philosophy, he was known for his writings, but maybe the thing he's most well known for in history is the influence some of his philosophy has had on even some things that we believe today, but especially some things that people in Jesus' day would believe. And he, while we attribute this to Shakespeare a lot, one of the lines that he is famous for writing that the people of Jesus' day would have understood or believed at that time is that your eyes are the window to your soul. Have you ever heard that before? Your eyes are the window to your soul. And so this is what the people in Jesus' day would have understood, which I think is gonna help us understand the scripture a little bit, but it, it literally means that your soul, your being, who you are is nested right behind your eyes that what you, if you were to look at somebody in the eyes, you're gonna get to know them best when you look them in the eyes. You can tell if somebody is lying if you look them in the eyes because you can look at literally who they are if you look them in the eyes. Your eyes are the window to your soul. Now, that now doesn't only work in what you see in people, but what you take in through your eyes affects who you are. Listen to this again with that understanding. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. You, your being, your soul, who you are, what you're about, how you posture yourself is on display for all to see. People with their eyes can look at you and see who you are. And this can be good. This can also be bad. Since the eyes are the window to our soul, here is what I, I think Jesus is really trying to say. If our eyes are the window of our soul, and he's explained this passage, he's laid this out for the people, here's, I think, what Jesus is trying to say, that what goes into our body is what comes out of our body. I, I, I'm aware that you understand how the digestive tract works. That's not really what I'm talking about, although kind of, a little bit. 
Um, and you're, you might be like, yeah, you need to tell my neighbor that. What goes in comes out, yeah. What goes into your body comes out of your body, sure. That works with food. But I, I don't know that that's exactly what Jesus is saying. No, no, no. He's trying to say this. What we take in, what we absorb, what we consume, what we participate in, that is what is people are going to see in our lives. That is what is going to be, become a part of who we are. What we take in through our eyes, because what we take in with who we are is going to be on display for everybody to see. It affects the light that people see with their eyes. Um, if you live on a farm, I bet others can see that in you. Maybe others can smell that in you too. Um, but if you live on a farm, I bet I could, someone could identify that because it becomes a part of who you are, right? If you love working out and you love taking that in as a part of your body and your body participating in that, I, I think others can see that in you, right? If you only hang out with people who don't share your faith, who want nothing to do with your faith, and that's where you consistently spend your time, I think others can see that in you. If you, with your literal eyes, look at things and consume things that generate impure thoughts, I believe people begin to see that lived out in your life. What we take in affects what people see. It affects who we are. It affects our very being. and affects the light that we display. Because what we take in, what you're a part of, it eventually becomes who you are. It eventually becomes who you are. And with everything that we are doing, whether it's our job, good habits, bad habits, good rhythms, bad rhythms, everything we take in influences the light that we display and it changes who we are. Um, but this works both ways. Um, you are at church this morning, and this is a healthy thing that you are a part of, an environment that you are in that I believe positively shapes you. You maybe have habits or people groups or small groups or discipleship uh, groups that you are a part of, and I believe that those positively shape, up, shape us when we are in those environments. But the same thing is true for the bad habits. And I think sometimes we get a little out of balance with that. In our terms of surrender, um, as a follower of Jesus, I believe Jesus is bringing this and addressing this as item number one on our terms of surrender because Jesus understands the importance of where we indulge ourselves 100% affects who we are. And while we would like to think differently about ourselves, here's something we need to know. More often than not, you and I are more likely to observe and absorb the environments that we are a part of than we are to design them. I like to think that our self-control and that our spiritual roots and our rock-solid faith can consistently help us, can consistently handle doing this and fill in the blank with whatever this is, whatever habit or environment that maybe is negative towards you I would like to think that because of where we're at in our faith, we can participate in all of these things and we can handle it, right? It's not going to affect who we are. And, but whenever I think about this, my mind goes back to high school dating, glorious days, right? Uh, high school dating. Uh, there was my freshman year. There was a cute girl, so that's a good start. Found out she liked me. 
What do you know? I like her too. This is going really well. But I knew that this girl and her reputation maybe, or the people that she was involved in, involved with, and just what her life, the way that it was organized, and the way that she lived her life out, I knew, because I was raised by amazing parents, that my life didn't line up with her life. But, you know, God, she needs to know Jesus too. Now, I guess, I guess if you really want me to, sure, I'll date her, I'll sacrifice that, I will date this really cute girl for your kingdom. Yeah, I can do that. And, and how, does, how does this turn out, right? I think that I'm gonna win her to Jesus. And if you're stronger than me, I mean, round of applause if that is your story and it worked out for you. But I know for me, it went the other way around, that the environment that I was consistently a part of, I was absorbing and observing that environment instead of designing that environment. Now, do I believe with the power of Jesus and his spirit, we can absolutely be designers? Yeah, I think we should, and I think we can. But if we consistently, and more often than not, absorb and observe and are part of these negative environments, I think that's what is ultimately going to affect us. But like I said, it works both ways. Sometimes I hear this, um, and I, I like hearing this, but we're going to talk about it. I like hearing this. I love going to church because I get just what I need for the week. Man, I love going to church because I get just what I need to get through the week. And my response to that is, first of all, man, I love that you love being at church. I love seeing you at church. I love that you're a part of, what, of this community. And so please, keep coming to church. I love that. You always hear me say, and I'm always going to oversay it, so just deal with it. We are a better church because of you. And I firmly believe that. We are a better church because of you. So I'm glad that you're here. But for many of us, I think it starts and I think it stops there. Somewhere along the way, we've made the assumption that my one, two, maybe three hours, if you're going to break the statistics and be an outlier, of the time that we spend out at church a week is going to erode, is going to cure, is going to wash away any bad and negative thing that we're going to be a part of the rest of the week. That the two hours here is going to affect the hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours through the week. But here's the problem with that. Um, I was with my friend Alex and Doug, and you don't know them, but we were at Alex's house. And the reason that's important is because my parents definitely don't want to be liable for this story. Um, while we were at Alex's house, uh, it was fall, we decided we wanted to build a fire. And so as extremely wise seventh graders, we needed a fire pit, we understood that. So we got a cardboard box, and we set it in the middle of the driveway. After that, we got a log, and we put the log in the middle of the cardboard box. And we didn't know what else to do, and so we were like, hey, leaves are flammable. So we grabbed a bunch of fall leaves and crammed them into this box, and then my friend Alex says, oh, guys, I have an Axe spray bottle in my bathroom. Let's put that in there. So we grabbed the Axe spray bottle, and we shoved it in the middle of the leaves, and then, well, I know leaves don't really, won't last very long. How are we really going to get this thing to go? Gasoline, that's right, gasoline. So we take the gasoline and we dump it over the box. We dump it over the leaves, we dump it over the log because we're gonna have a fire. 
going pretty good. And we were dumb enough to do it, but smart enough to know it could go really bad. So we're trying to like toss matches into the box. So we strike one and then we toss it and then we kind of, you know, hang back, right? And it, none of it is working. So eventually my friend grabs a handful of matches and just whoosh, and he's got like a torch or something and throws the matches into there knowing one of them is going to successfully land. And the matches hit whoosh, and it goes up in flames, right? And as it's burning for 5, 10, 15 seconds, this massive flame, it gets just hot enough, just enough heat to affect the Axe Spray bottle. And the Axe Spray can bust and we have an explosion and we're going crazy and this is amazing. And then what happens? 30 seconds later, the fire's gone. We had this big burst of light and then it, it went away. It was gone. If we want to be a consistent light in the kingdom of God, if we want to pick up our cross and live fully surrendered to Jesus, then we have to give full attention to item number one on their terms of surrender. We have to surrender our eyes. Because when we fully surrender all that we take in, we can be a constant light in all that we do. When we fully surrender all we take in, we can be a constant light in all we do. In other words, we can be always lit. Back to the gas fire. We don't become a constant light, I don't think, through our occasional worship. I don't think we become a constant light through our occasional church attendance. Um, just like you don't have a constant fire by dumping gasoline on it. Henry Nowen says this, and maybe I've already used this in a sermon here before, but I don't care because it's awesome. And I continually reflect on it. And Henry Nowen is speaking into our spiritual behaviors and habits. He says this, 10 minutes a day is always better than an hour every once in a while. 10 minutes a day is always better than an hour every once in a while. Here's what I think he means. And here's the three points, if you're taking notes, I want us to conclude with. Number one is this. Here's what we're going to talk about. How do we maintain our light? If you went to winter retreat, this is going to sound very familiar. I stole it from Kevin Jack because it's good. So I'll give credit where credit's due. But how do we maintain our light to those around us? Number one is this. We need to gather the wood. We need to gather the wood. I adjusted it, I apologize. The right kind of logs, we need to gather the wood. We need to get the right materials. We need to implement the right habits in our life. We need to surround ourselves in the right environments. We need to build the right things so that we are soaking and absorbing and observing the right things so that we can be designers in the world that we live in. But if we aren't taking in the right things, we're not gonna reflect the right things. So we need to gather the wood. We need to get the right materials. Number two is this. How do we maintain our light? We need to clear out what's reducing our faith. Clear out what's reducing our faith. We've been to church and our fire has been burning, but eventually that turns into things that just, that we don't need in there anymore, right? Or maybe because of what we observed and because of what we absorbed, we've got a bunch of dead leaves in the bottom of our fire that we know isn't gonna last, and we need to clear the things in our lives that maybe are negatively influencing our light. In fact, are making it a little bit darker. So we need to clear the debris, we need to clear the things out in our life, 
that are reducing our faith. Maybe that's clearing your schedule to make time for Jesus. Maybe that's clearing our bad habits that are just taking up space in our lives and are reducing our light. Clear the things out that are reducing our faith. And the last thing that we need to do, and this is where Henry and Alan comes in, we need to tend to it daily. Tend to it daily. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up at this time. You know, when we fully surrender what we take in, and that might be what we watch, that might be what we eat, that might be what we do, that might be how, our spend our, how we spend our time or who and where we spend our time with. But when we are willing to daily surrender what goes into our soul, what goes into our eyes, then we can be a constant light for the kingdom of God. We don't need big flames. We don't need explosions, which are great, which are cool. And I think I witnessed some great fire after talking to my wife after the Thrive Conference. Man, she is pumped and so encouraged right now. But this morning even, I could tell that fire was still lit as she says, Jay, before you go, we have to do our Lenten devotional together. And I know it's small, but I was rushing. I was thinking about today. I was thinking about what I was going to say and everything I needed to get ready. And she just helped me to say, hey, you need your 10 minutes today. We need to get build the right logs. And so we did our Lenten devotional together because I want to be a constant light in the kingdom of God. In every environment, in every bad situation, in every good situation, when we surrender what we take in, we can be a constant light everywhere we are in all the things that we do. And if you want to live fully surrendered to Jesus, if you want to pick up your cross daily, if you want the sanctifying work of Christ to come to life in you, then let's start as Jesus instructed us here. When the crowds were at their largest, when people were ready to listen, he says, let's surrender our eyes so we can be a constant light for the kingdom of God. Surrender your eyes today. It's gonna look different for all of us, but surrender your eyes. Stop fighting with your surrender and turn your eyes to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the terms of surrender that you are inviting us into because while it's easy to fight, it's easy to want to kick back, it's easy to want to um, just tackle head on the problems that we have so that we can gain and grow in this relationship with you, I think more often than not, we're fighting the wrong battle. We're fighting the wrong mama bear and we just need to say, God, I, I surrender. And it's through our posture of surrender that you fill us with life that you fill us with light so that we can be a constant light to everybody around us. We can remain always lit. We surrender our eyes to you today, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.